It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 66 of the Night Talker at 1045, where are we at in society? A Penn State professor was fired for being inappropriate with a dog in a forest. At 10.15, it is the start of a two-segment chat with two neuroscientists who conducted research on monkeys to learn why we choke under pressure. And coming up this segment, the Big 12 announced its preseason first team in football. San Diego State spurns the Pac-12 for the Mountain West Conference. And is that college football video game re-release already in trouble? I am your host, Trey Elling. You can follow me on Twitter at Courtesy Wave and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Hope you had a nice July 4th and hopefully for most of you, an extended weekend off. I actually got a four-day weekend, which was quite nice. Kids were hanging out most of the time. Wife got yesterday off. She actually had to work her job on Monday. Poor her being in the medical profession. Saving lives by the day. But hopefully for the rest of you, your job is trivial enough that you were able to take Monday and Tuesday off. Enjoy burgers, dogs, fireworks, pools, whatever else was going on for your Independence Day plans yesterday and celebrating this great country. But we're back at it now. Unofficially entering the second half of summer now that July 4th is over with. And I, for one, am excited because a week from today, I will be in Arlington at Jerry World covering day one of Big 12 Media Days. There are four new schools this year, so 14 schools total. And it's going to be a bit of a whirlwind with the Texas Longhorns actually taking part in Wednesday's festivities with fellow Big 12 departee Oklahoma, a part of things on Thursday. So stay tuned. I know Chip is going to be up there for the midday show, so he'll have a bunch of interviews and other good intel to let you people in on. So do keep listening to 1027 ESPN all throughout this week and next week, but especially Wednesday and Thursday. We will be in Arlington for Big 12 Media Days. And in case you missed the news last week, I don't think I mentioned it on this show, but Texas did announce the players that would be traveling with Steve Sarkeesian to Arlington for Big 12 Media Days. And not a huge surprise necessarily. I had asked this question of Justin Wells and Bobby Burton in the last few weeks, and their answers mostly aligned with who will end up in Arlington for the Longhorns. That includes Quinn Ewers, who is the no-question starting quarterback for this team going into the season. Two of his most important targets with Jordan Whittington, the super senior, and then Xavier Worthy, who is uh, entering a big year in his own right. Obviously, his sophomore season was a little bit of a disappointment after a freshman All-American campaign, and so he's looking to come back strong and should be helped by the fact that he is not one of the few options in the passing attack that Quinn Ewers feels comfortable throwing the football to. So three guys on offense and then two guys on defense. One being Jalen Ford, 
Congratulations to Jalen, by the way. He was just named the preseason defensive player of the year by media, as announced by the conference earlier today. And then also Jade Barron. A lot of folks thought it might be Jaron Thompson who would be traveling to Arlington with his coach and team. But Jade Barron, a guy who impressed a lot of folks playing that nickel corner position last year, didn't allow a single touchdown reception on the year, was a surefire tackler, great in the run game, great in the pass game, seems to be setting himself up for a big 2023. Wouldn't be surprised if he ends up all-conference, maybe even has the option to go pro after the season is over with. That's a best-case scenario for him, so he will also be in Arlington. So stay tuned for conversations with some, if not all, of those guys here on 1027 ESPN. Speaking of... Jalen being announced uh, Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. The conference did release its uh, All-Big 12 football team as chosen by media reps who cover the league. By the way, the Offensive Player of the Year, this was interesting for me, but then again, there aren't a ton of returning starting quarterbacks who were really good last year. Jalen Daniels from Kansas, the junior signal caller, was named the preseason offensive player of the year by media. Newcomer of the year, Treshawn Ward, running back for Kansas State. He's going to be a senior this year, transferred from, I'm not totally sure off the top of my head, my apologies, but he is looked at as a potential newcomer of the year and obviously has huge shoes to fill with Deuce Vaughn now earning a paycheck in the National Football League with the Dallas Cowboys. The Longhorns who made first team. By the way, there is no second team mentioned here. It is just a first team list that was put out by the conference earlier today. Three guys made it on the offensive side of the ball. You can already whittle that list down because you know it's not going to be Quinn Ewers. Jalen Daniels is that starting quarterback. Both the Texas stud running backs are gone, so no guys at the running back position. One guy at the wide receiver position, and that would be Xavier Worthy. Uh, Xavier was still good at scoring touchdowns last year, even though he had a a problem with the dropsies, which was also an issue his freshman year. Not highlighted, but it was certainly evident. But he is a first-team wide receiver, according to the media, to go along with Brennan Presley, the talented playmaker from Oklahoma State, and then Jaran Bradley from Texas Tech. And Jatavian Sanders also makes first-team. At the tight end spot. Not a surprise considering that he set records at that position for the Longhorns last year. Looks to build on that in his junior campaign. And the other first teamer on offense for the Longhorns, sophomore to be Kelvin Banks Jr. He was a stud last year at left tackle as a true freshman. And we're probably a year and a half away from seeing Kelvin Banks and hearing his name called in the first round of the NFL draft. Probably near the top of the first round, too, if things keep going as planned. Defensively, Texas ends up with two guys on the All-Big 12 preseason list. And I have a disagreement here because I think there should at least be one or two other guys on this team. But we'll talk about that in a second after we give congrats to defensive lineman Byron Murphy. The junior is a part of a uh, five-person defensive line. And then Jalen Ford, the preseason defensive player of the year, one of three linebackers selected by the media. Now, conspicuously absent are defensive backs from this list. And I think that there are three guys who have an argument to receive first team, even if it's preseason and we have to take these lists with a large grain of salt honors. That would be Jaron Thompson, the safety, 
Ryan Watts at cornerback. I don't think that's a stretch. And then also Jade Barron, a guy that I just mentioned that will be in Arlington next week. All those dudes put together stellar 2022 campaigns, and it doesn't seem like there's any signs of letting up here. But you know what? Add to the chip on that shoulder, guys. Remember that you were snubbed from this preseason All-Big 12 list and use that as motivation to kick some butt for this coming season. Real quick before the commercial break, this happened during the extended July 4th weekend, but San Diego State, after making it seem like they would opt out of the Mountain West Conference by the end of June, which is what they needed to do to avoid an enormous increase and they're exit-free from the Mountain West Conference, well, guess what? Things are so uncertain with the Pac-12 that San Diego State has decided to stay in the Mountain West. The Pac-12 insists that by the time we get to their media days, which I believe is in the middle of this month, there will be a framework in place for that next TV deal. Yeah, guys, we will believe that when we see it. In the meantime, San Diego State will not be joining... Uh, The other members of the Pac-12 who will still be a part of that conference after USC and UCLA leave following this season. And we may have to get into this more tomorrow, but there is another filing regarding that EA College football video game that's supposed to be coming back next summer. It may actually release, it may actually delay rather, the game's release. We heard this is a possibility with a couple of other lawsuits, but this one may actually have that effect. We'll explore that a little bit more at some point later in the week, probably tomorrow. Right now, though, got to have to hit the commercial break because on the other side, I'm speaking with a couple of neuroscientists who looked at the brains of monkeys to better understand why we choke under pressure. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Why do we choke under pressure? That question is at the heart of some research conducted by a team led by University of Pittsburgh bioengineering professor Aaron Batista and Stephen Chase, who is a biomedical engineering professor at Carnegie Mellon University. Their research studied the brains of monkeys and had them perform tasks and pressure situations to hopefully find out why we choke neurologically. Those results are now available, and Stephen and Aaron are nice enough to join me right now for a few minutes to discuss that. Stephen, thank you for the time. How are you doing today? Uh, excellent. Thank you. Aaron, how about you? Everything going well on your end? Very good, Trey. How about with you? I am doing great, thank you. And uh, as somebody who uh, loves to take a look at research and uh, just see what the work of others can tell us about ourselves and the world around us, I was uh, really intrigued to learn about uh, something that you guys just took part in that was reported for the first time in The Score about a month ago. And it has to do with researching monkeys to understand why we tend to fold under pressure. So, uh, Stephen, we'll start with you here. Uh, just uh, where along this this process did you really start to get involved in things as uh, you guys overseeing the, the, the research here? Yeah, this study really got underway almost a decade ago. I think it was 2014. And Aaron and I have been studying motor control for a couple of decades. And we've always been interested in the role that rewards play in motivating actions and in learning. Uh, and in one day, I don't even know what, what started it, but one day we started talking about choking under pressure, about how athletes, you know, in some of the biggest moments, statistically speaking, perform less good than they can. 
And we started wondering, you know, is this a human specific phenomenon? Is it because we overthink it? Our big brains are causing us to trip at those critical moments? Or is this something that really any animal would do? And that's how the, the study got started. So uh, how, how exactly did uh, this team go about conducting the research, Aaron? What, what, what did they do to test whether or why these monkeys fold under pressure too? Yeah, it turns out it didn't take all that much to <laughs> to get this result. There was a lot of foundation that had to be laid, and you know, um, the idea had to cross our minds. Um, but you know, we we have animals performing challenging, dexterous motor behaviors in the laboratory all the time already, and uh, you know, we decided to just see what would happen if we changed their incentive by offering them bigger or smaller rewards, all the way up to a jackpot for occasional uh, success at a difficult task. And, um, you know, it doesn't take uh, a stadium full of 10,000 adoring fans calling out your name to to lead you to choke under pressure. It can happen in routine behaviors that are encountered in ordinary lives. And, you know, ordinary people do it. And uh, and turns out even even monkeys in a laboratory will choke under pressure. What was the jackpot, Aaron? Just a massive drop of something the animal likes, whether it's tang or or, mm. or Kool Aid, or we find out what the animal is into. We we tell them they'll get a lot of it. Have a little color cue that lets them know the payoff is going to be huge for this one, and uh, that's enough to um, to um, put the pressure on them and lead them to choke. Stephen, did you guys also look at whether? simulating some sort of crowd noise. So I guess uh, an oral distraction had any impact on pressure too? That's a fantastic question. And we haven't done that. We haven't Mm. looked at the role of distraction yet. There's so many variants of this task that we want to do. Yeah. And um, it's interesting. There's, there's actually been a debate in the psychophysics literature with humans, you know, what, what actually causes that pressure? Are rewards enough to motivate it? Or do you need some kind of sense of loss or sense of performance to engage those, you know, performance anxiety feelings? Um, for us, it was just rewards and that was enough. And uh, so, Stephen, we'll continue, I guess. So what, what were the findings here? The findings were a remarkable robustness, statistically speaking, as you increase rewards from very small to medium levels to to large levels, monkeys get better at the task. Their success rates go up on this challenging task. And for us, you know, we tried to titrate all the parameters. The average success rate was about 70%. And we saw at the smallest rewards, it was really about, you know, 60%. And at the large rewards, it was really about 80%. So a large Mm -hmm. swing success rate. And then on those rare 5% of trials, when that jackpot was on offer, their success rates plummeted and they plummeted substantially down to about 60% again. And so it was really a, a, a very remarkable effect and it was consistent. It happened almost every day. It, it's, it happened at the beginning of the day and it happened at the end of the day. We tried a couple of different variants of the task and it happened there. It's a remarkably consistent effect, even more consistent, I think, in the animals than it is in humans. So, Aaron, uh, did you guys have electrodes hooked to their monkey brains? I mean, how are we figuring out what's happening neurologically uh, when That's right. primates are choking under pressure? 
Yeah, it, it, to our great surprise, it turns out that the same areas that control the coordination of our muscles are also sensitive to the outcome of the action, including what the payoff is going to be. So that we found this, this interesting mixture between signals of anticipation and motivation and signals of sensory motor coordination. And like Steve is describing, when, when, the, when the payoff goes from small to medium, those signals tend to improve. But then when the payoff goes from medium to jackpot, the signals degrade in quality, which is really quite a remarkable thing. And if I can say a little bit more about it, the, the degradation is highly predictive of the animal's failure. Hmm. So you can sit there and watch on trial by trial. Here's one where the animal's going to miss it because the neural activity is dysregulated because of that outsized uh, potential reward. Wow. So, so not as focused then? I don't know, Steve. What's the right word for it? Would you call it focused or what? It's... Yeah, it's it's hard to know. I don't I don't think it's a distraction based effect like okay. the word focus might imply. The what seems to happen when they move, they move they tend to move too slowly. They end up short of a target. It's almost as if they're overcautious. Huh. They're worried about missing out on the reward, and because they're worried about missing out on the reward, they miss out on the reward. And so you mentioned this, so yeah. is this the motor cortex, the region in the brain that, that you're talking about that has an effect here, Aaron? That's right. That's right. Huh. Yep. How surprising was that, Stephen? I, I, I want to say it's very surprising. We yeah. really didn't know how this was going to turn out. Hmm. Motor cortex was a logical place to look because it's the last cortical area, it's responsible for sending a lot of axons down the spinal cord, giving you direct control over your, over your muscles. So it's sort of the last stop in cortical processing of movements. But whether it was going to show these big reward effects, we really had no idea. So uh, the fact that they were so clean and so consistent, that is what was really surprising. Was it surprising to you, Aaron? Uh, yes, it, it was. We like to take bets at the start of an experiment, and I, it's 10 years ago now, and I, I forget where we aligned, but one of us was certain monkeys wouldn't choke, and the other was certain that they would. And then, you know, once we once we knew that, we then uh, took another round of bets to find out if it would show up in motor cortex or not. I will say, now that we've seen it in motor cortex, I would not be surprised if it's everywhere. Look, we're, we're highly emotional creatures. And, um, you know, athletes are um, both have exquisite motor skill and also have the ability to keep their emotions under control so that it, it doesn't interfere with their performance. They can feel it more than we do and they can self-regulate it better than we can. Mm -hmm. um, so I won't be surprised. You know, we want to go look elsewhere in the brain, but it's not just motor tasks that we choke on. We, we, can, we can choke in public speaking, on the radio, you name it. So there may be lots of places where we can see an adverse interaction between neural control signals and kind of emotional valence signals, um, sometimes helping, and in these rare instances, really interacting in a negative way, an adverse way. Stephen, what types of monkeys were being utilized here? These are rhesus macaques. Okay. And I'll just I'll just say that these are. Um, uh, uh, 
a species that has been wonderfully uh, enabling for all kinds of research, not just neuroscience, um, <clears throat> but also COVID vaccine development, um, reproductive health, um, lots of disease models have been developed and human diseases have been cured using the exact same species of rhesus monkeys that, uh, that we have the privilege of working with in the lab. Yeah, the rhesus is uh, very valuable in this regard. I'm curious, though, as it pertains to the brain, is there a reason neurologically why the rhesus monkey would be better to study for something like this than like a bonobo or chimpanzee, considering that uh, th those are the two uh, non-human species that we share the most with genetically? Yeah, we... when when. When you know looking for a species to use, we we want something that's going to mimic human motor control as closely as possible. Motor um, control. Okay. The rhesus macaque is a really nice model for this. It's got a gyroencephalated brain, meaning it's got the same kinds of folds that humans have. Uh, they perform visually guided reaching, and they're relatively trainable. Um, but not as valuable as say chimpanzees, not as hard to find in the wild. They're not an endangered species. And so we, you know, we, we try and balance these things as good a model of human motor control as we can get while being something that's not gonna impact the, you know, the ecosystem at all when we study it. They are Aaron Batista and Stephen Chase, researchers who examined the brains of monkeys to better figure out why we choke under pressure. Coming up more with Aaron and Stephen on the other side. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Back with University of Pittsburgh bioengineering professor Aaron Batista and Stephen Chase, a biomedical engineering professor at Carnegie Mellon University. They led a research team that studied the brains of monkeys and had them perform tasks and pressure situations to hopefully find out what's going on in our brains when we choke. All right, shameless admission time now, guys. Uh, I'm very jealous of you both. I love the idea of getting to... Uh, study the brain for a living and to get to get to conduct research like this so kudos on your uh your profession selection well we'd love to be on the radio right <laughs> many years ago the grass is always greener right uh so i want to ask each of you this what uh ultimately made you want to pursue this career path and aaron uh, you can go first here oh man i was hoping to have a moment to think about it Stephen, um, you're, so <laughs> you're Stephen, you're welcome to go first if you're ready. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to go first. So a lot of our research is actually focused on, on clinical application. Um, and the specific clinical case we tend to focus on uh, is brain-computer interfaces. And these are devices that are developed for people who are paralyzed. Hmm. Uh, quadriplegics can't move, um, stuck in a wheelchair. And the idea is to implant electrodes in the brain to tap out motor control signals and use those signals to either reanimate the subject's own limb or to control a robotic arm to give them restored motor abilities and ability to interact with the external world. And a lot of our basic science research is 
to serve that purpose. And this specific study is really about how do emotions creep into motor control signals? And that's something we need to know. If we're going to decode a subject's motor intent, motor, you know, in order to control a robotic arm or something like that, we need to know how are these signals normally regulated by emotions so that when emotions come in, as they're going to happen, when a subject's using a device, that we can properly account for that signal and not have it cause the robot arm to do something bad. So really, you know, a lot of my motivation is on the clinical application end. And this study is is a really neat basic science study that that is along those lines. That's really cool to hear about. So is this something similar to the neural link technology? Because as I understand it, I know everybody gets freaked out because it's a brain implant and it's Elon Musk, but at its foundation, as he has talked about before, it's really about uh, helping people who have suffered spinal cord injuries. I believe epilepsy has also been mentioned to uh, to gain uh, some greater sense of normalcy in their lives in terms of that disability. Yeah, it's exactly the case. So yeah, we've been doing the research and Neuralink has come in and is now trying to commercialize the research and they're doing a, a very good job at that. Yeah, they, they, they have the, um, they have what they need to reach potentially many more people in the here and now than Steve and I will be able to reach. Um, there are real opportunities for a partnership there. And, you know, one thing I would say to their overall effort, and I think they're, you know, they're very student well aware of this, is that um, if you really want to restore motor function to people, you must understand the whole milieu in which we behave. You've got to understand that it is not just a sensory motor control problem. It is also a problem of um, context, emotional situation, what the goals of the actions are, what the long-term action of the individual is. And the more we know about how the brain represents movement in natural environments, the better the control algorithms and restoration are going to be. Oh, my God, that is crazy. So, Aaron, what led you to want to be uh, want, want to work this sort of job? Yeah, what what a great question. So, uh, um, you know, I, I I find great peace in the idea that the mind is created by the brain, that our minds are the action of our brains, and the reason why that's so powerful for me is because it it helps us be more forgiving when we encounter failings of cognition. Or, or brain diseases that impact our sense of self, our ability to move, our emotional state. If we can be more tolerant of each other and more forgiving of ourselves because we understand our mind is just the action of our brain, I think that puts our society on better footing and leads toward potential treatments. The mind is the actions of our brain. So there is a, a, a common frustration among philosophers to try and define what exactly the mind is. That might be the most beautiful definition I've ever heard for that concept in my life. Is that an Aaron It's not mine, there? but it's what drew me into the field. It's not yours, but it, what, it's what drew you into the field. Do you remember where you, uh, you, you read or heard that for the first time? Uh, the... My favorite place to find it is the writings of Francis Crick, the guy who just co-discovered the structure of DNA. Yeah. He, wow. uh, you know, he became a neuroscientist later in, in life, and he wrote a book called The Astonishing Hypothesis. Hmm. And The Astonishing Hypothesis is the idea that the mind is nothing other than the action of the brain. Stephen, anything you want to add here? 
I think that sums things up very well. Uh, I think, actually, I wanted to add one more thing about our particular study. Sure. I think the most surprising thing to me that we found is how much more consistent this choking under pressure finding is in animals than it is in humans. And so to me, you know, this idea that it's our big brains that cause us to trip and choke under pressure, it's actually our big brains that cause us not to choke under pressure. Huh. And, uh, and, I, and I think, I suspect, can't prove this yet, but we're working on it. I suspect that athletes really should be choking under pressure way more than they do. And it's really just an astonishing fact that they don't. Every time they don't choke under pressure, that's what's amazing. You know, last night, uh, Domingo Herman pitched a perfect game for the Yankees, yeah. right? And and in the interview afterward, he said exactly what Steve is saying. I could feel the nerves, and I kept it under control, and, and look what I did. I, I created a perfect one. Yeah, that... It's crazy with him, especially because he has not been very good this year. But I just think that's also one of the things that uh, that shows the the strange magic that is baseball, right? This is why we like the live event more than going to the scrimmages and the uh, preseason practices. Yeah. It's when the emotions interact with the motor skill that it gets interesting. And why seeing it in person is even better than seeing it on television too, because you are sure. actually physically there. Part of, part of history. Although slow-mo makes things pretty cool on the TV side, I guess. All right. Uh, <laughs> want to finish things off with the uh, subject of pressure and asking each of you guys, if you have both a moment where you folded under pressure and a moment where you excelled under pressure. So uh, I'm going to give Aaron a chance to think about this one. Steve, is there a moment where you completely collapsed under pressure? And if so, what happened? It's not a single moment, but I used to play (laughs) racquetball with a graduate student friend of mine when I was in grad school. And nearly every game, I would get ahead. I would always start out strong and then I'd get to match point and fold. <laughs> uh, and, and, and so he would come from behind and beat me almost every game. Uh, I am ridiculously subject to this problem. Have you figured out what it is? Why it happens? Uh, <laughs> clearly, I don't have one of those athletes, big brains that allows me to overcome this problem <laughs> that the rest of animal kind suffers from. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta like take a couple breaths on game points or something, man. This can't keep happening. Aaron, how about you? What's a moment where you folded under pressure? Yeah, too many to count. I uh, okay. I spend a lot of time as a uh, as an enthusiastic amateur dancer, a particular style called West Coast Swing that happens to be popular in Austin. West and, Coast uh, Swing. I, West Coast Swing. Yeah, it's a really wonderful dance. It's a little bit of a, a modernization of Lindy Hop. It's a joy to watch. Um, there's great videos on YouTube and nothing beats seeing it live like any athletic performance. But um, is, is this you know, like I, I what had, was showcased in the movie Swingers back in the 90s? Similar. Okay. Very similar. Yeah, okay. exactly. That's a great reference. It's, I love that movie. It's been a few years. But um there's still a community out there that dances it and they are intense and they take it very seriously. And um, 
most of it is social and fun, but every now and then there's a competition and you can always tell who's, uh, who's able to keep their nerves under control when everybody's watching you and, and when the stakes are high in that, uh, in that particular environment. Okay. So Aaron, we're going to start with you with this final one. Then what is a moment where you excelled under pressure? Oh goodness. Um, (laughs) managed to get myself married to one of those dancers. (laughs) I must've said or done the right things at the right time. (laughs) That's a good answer. And Steven, how about you? I was in a job interview giving a talk, actually, my job talk. Uh, and I was about halfway through and I mentally lost track of where I was in the talk. I had no, I have, and I just it's like looking at the slide going, I have no idea what I'm supposed to say next, but I was still speaking. And I blazed through the talk. It wasn't an issue whatsoever. Cognitively, I had no idea what I was doing, but I was, I was on, and I just kept going. What was the general Auto subject pilot. of the talk? Uh, research. It was uh, <laughs> it was for the job I'm I'm currently holding, actually. So I managed to land it. <laughs> that yeah, that's excelling under pressure right there. Well, guys, thank you so much for the conversation today. Really enjoyed it. And uh, hopefully this isn't the last time. I'm, I'm going to uh, keep track of uh, the work that's uh, coming from each of you. And uh, best of luck with that ultimate goal, which is to help those with spinal cord injuries to recover in some way, shape, or form. Thank you, Thank you, very you much. so much. Coming up in Where Are We At in Society, a Penn State professor was fired for being inappropriate with a dog in a forest. It's the Night Talker with Trey Ellen. It's the Night Talker with Trey Ellie. Final segment of tonight's show means it's time for... Where are we at in society today? That's right. It is your nightly look at stories that show we as a people are headed in a terrible direction. Very occasionally, I will present a story that provides us all with a sense of optimism. That has us all saying, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure it out. Maybe all is not lost. But sadly, tonight is not that night. Yeah, like I'm going to present a positive story for you. After four days off from this segment, you know the amount of stupid crap that we do in a single day, much less four days? Yeah, that positive story ain't happening coming off of a weekend. And we start in Happy Valley with this first story. And I'm just going to have to read the headline from statecollege.com. Penn State professor accused of performing lewd acts with a dog in state forest. A 64-year-old professor of chemical engineering at Penn State University Park campus is facing charges after he was allegedly caught on camera performing lewd acts with a dog in Rothrock State Forest. Timis Matsukas was charged last week with misdemeanor counts of open lewdness, indecent exposure, and, cover your ears kids, sexual intercourse with an animal, as well as summary counts of cruelty to animals and disorderly conduct. 
since the charges were announced, the university announced that Mitsukis was relieved of his responsibilities and is on leave. Now, according to an affidavit of probable cause filed by a Department of Conservation and Natural Resources ranger, there was a trail camera that was installed in the parking lot of a natural area in Jackson Township on April 12th to identify individuals who were stealing bags of hand sanitizer from public restrooms. Good Lord. Just a sad sub-detail of this story. It doesn't really have to do with anything else other than the fact there are people so pathetic out there that they're stealing bags of hand sanitizer out of public bathrooms and state parks. Around 8 p.m. the following day, the camera captured multiple brief videos that allegedly showed a man later identified as, as Mitsukis who was naked, <laughs> except for a ski mask, wristwatch, boots, and backpack. Mastering his own domain near the women's restroom and then engaging in a sexual act with a dog. The video also shows Mitsukis recording himself with an iPad. This does beg a strange question, but I think it's still a valid question nonetheless. What constitutes naked? I guess it's probably wearing so little clothing that you're genitalia are showing but the guy was wearing a ski mask does that knock down the level of naked at all after uh, at all considering that you can't identify the person by their face also boots you got the the top and bottom covered if you will well the, the very bottom of the human body not the actual bottom part of that equation but yeah the fact that he's not wearing anything between his neck and his Calves does constitute naked, I guess. Now, Matsukis's location when he was filmed engaging in this disgustingness was within viewing distance of a road frequently used by visitors to a picnic area, leased camps, the fire tower, and the Penn Roosevelt State Park. Owners of two private camps surrounded by Rathrock also contacted state forest staff when they discovered images from their trail cameras of a man who was nude from the waist down, a ranger wrote, because he was wearing a backpack too. The six photos dated back as far as 2014, and investigators identified Matsukas as the man in each. He appeared again on this trail camera on May 16th, And he was identified by his vehicle registration. Investigators issued a search warrant at his home on June 9th and found the iPad, backpack, ski uh, ski mask, watch, and boots. All of which appeared to match those observed in the video. Oh no. A dog at the home also had identical characteristics of the one in the video. Not to justify this one way or the other, but I assume this was some random stray that he was doing this to. He's performing these lewd acts on his own dog? You sicko? 
Matsukas allegedly denied having the items when investigators first arrived, but then became upset and said, quote, I do it to blow off steam. You got to find a new hobby, bro. Going to public parks, doing this in public, and then doing something having to do with sex acts with your dog. Go get in a workout. Take up jogging. I'm not even the biggest running fan in the world, but if it's between running slash jogging and doing that, choosing jogging seven days of the week. There is a preliminary hearing for this case scheduled for July 19th. In the meantime, let's hope Mitsukis finds some other way to blow off steam than blowing off, well, something else. Uh, Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and stop right there. It's after 10 o'clock, so I can get away with a little bit more, but even I need to show some restraint sometimes, and I just did. Congratulations to me and to you people for not having to hear it. Nearly 11 o'clock at night on ESPN Austin. All right, we uh, move from Happy Valley to California. Most of us know what Ponzi schemes are at this point. Usually some big pack of promises made to investors with a lot of money that turns out to be a heaping pile of manure that allows the schemer to make off with a lot of money in the process. Sadly, there are too many examples of this going back throughout human history prior to when money was really a thing. I'm sure back in caveman times, there was some Neanderthal convincing other Neanderthals to give up whatever. Food, water, women, babies. For what? A cave up on the cliffside there? You don't realize how far it is to get to, or maybe there's not even a cave there to begin with. But in modern times, it does typically involve money. And although these Ponzi schemes are usually giant piles of manure, it's very rarely that we get a Ponzi scheme that literally involves a pile of manure. But that's exactly what has happened here, where a California man has been sentenced to over six years in prison. For an $8.7 million cow manure Ponzi scheme. This is according to the U.S. Attorney's Office. The scheme promised to turn cow manure into green energy. And the guy who made these false promises that earned him millions of dollars in the process has been sentenced to over six years in prison according to the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of California. Ray Brewer is 66, and he stole $8.7 million from investors between March 2014 and December 2019. His scam involved convincing investors that he could build anaerobic digesters, that is, large machines that create methane through microorganisms breaking down biodegradable material on dairies in several California and Idaho counties. This methane can, quote, then be sold on the open market as green energy, is the promise that Brewer was making to his investors. His investors were also supposed to receive tax incentives and 66% of all net profits as part of the scheme. He even gave investors tours of the dairies 
where he claimed that he'd build the digester machines and sent them forged lease agreements with the dairy owners. So he fabricated lease agreements with these dairy owners as part of this scheme. He also sent the investors altered agreements with banks that made it appear as though he had obtained millions of dollars in loans to build the digesters. Wanting to appear as though he had secured revenue streams, Brewer also sent investors forged contracts with multinational companies and showed them fake photos of the digesters under construction. My goodness, this guy went to great lengths to steal nearly $10 million from people. After receiving his investors' funds, Brewer transferred the money to bank accounts opened in the names of an alias, his relatives, and different entities. In some cases, Brewer did offer refunds that came from, quote, newly received money from other investors who had not authorized Brewer to use their money in this way, which is also a hallmark of a Ponzi scheme. Some of Brewer's purchases with the stolen money included two plots of land of 10 or more acres, a custom 3,700-square-foot home, and new pickup trucks. Because what else are you going to do if you are carrying out a Ponzi scheme than spending that money on yourself? And now Brewer is going to be in jail for a while as a result. That is it for another edition of the Night Talker. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow at 10. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the night and sweet dreams. It's the Night Talker with Trey Ellings.